Good morning. I'll be preaching this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 46 through verse 55. Let's stand up now for the reading of the Gospel for this morning. So here's the setup for the Scripture. Mary has just heard the news that God has chosen her to be the mother of the Son of God. Gabriel approaches her and says, Mary, God has shown his favor on you. Mary's confused by the message. And God explains to her that by the Holy Spirit, she's going to conceive a child who will be the son of the Most High God. After hearing this great news, she then says, Let it be, Lord, let it be as your will, let it be. I am your servant. She then rushes to be with her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant with a child by miraculous circumstances. And when she greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to her, you're blessed. Blessed are you, Mary, among all women, because God has chosen you to carry the Son of God into the world. She says, there, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then in this moment, in this moment of joy, Mary bursts into song and she sings what we call the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. This is the reading of the word of God, and God's people did say, Amen. you may be seated. Well, I've, I've been listening to Christmas music now, well, since September. Uh, let, let me explain, uh, maybe you've heard, but we had a Christmas concert here earlier this week. Our Middletown Preschool uh, held their Christmas concert here on this stage. We have a terrific preschool. Maybe you're not aware of this, but our preschool and kindergarten has over 200 children led by great teachers. My son Alex, uh, 16 years ago, was a student in the school and was really blessed. And some of those teachers are still teaching. Carrie Johnson, who's on our staff and who leads our preschool program, she does a great job. If you get a chance to thank her, she's really faithful, she's quiet, she serves with a big heart. Well, like I said, they've been singing now for, uh, well, about three months. 
And the reason I say that is they practice below my office, and they're downstairs. And for three months, I've heard this song, Happy Birthday, Jesus. Don't give us the measles. I don't know the words. It's something like that. But it's, but it's been a long time that we've been hearing that song, that music. But it was great. It was great. The kids were all up here, 200 of them, and dressed in bright colors. They were happy. They were excited. And the sanctuary was filled with grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles and neighbors, all trying to take the photo of their kid or grandkid and, and just celebrating. I loved it because for me, it helped me get a good start to my Christmas season. And I realized at that concert that music has always been a part of Christmas. What would Christmas be without Christmas musicals and choirs and music and, and Christmas carols? And in fact, I think that Christmas music may be the very best way to respond to the good news of the birth of Jesus, by bursting out in song. That's why for these next four weeks, we're going to talk about uh, the songs of Christmas. Now, you may not be familiar with these songs, but, but they're the original Christmas songs. The first Christmas songs ever written are recorded in the Gospel of Luke, the only Gospel that records them. Uh, the song of Mary that we just read and the song of, of Zechariah, the song of the angels, and then the song of Simeon. We're going to look at each and every one of them. But today I want to look at Mary's song. Mary's song is called the Magnificat because it comes from the word to magnify. And when Mary burst out in song, she was wanting to magnify the Lord. And to magnify means to lift up, to make great, uh, to enlarge, to celebrate, to honor. And she was singing and bursting out in song because she wanted to celebrate, wanted to celebrate what God had done in her life and what God was going to do in our world. So what I want to do is this morning, I want to point out four things about this song that I think will give you a reason to burst out in song too. And I think this is a good thing because honestly, sometimes at Christmas, we do get a little bit lost in the season. Sometimes we've been to Christmas services and heard Christmas sermons and we've heard Christmas music. We lose a little bit of the spirit and Dave doesn't, but some of us do. And I want to give you a reason this morning to really burst out and to sing. I want to put some awe, some awe back in your Christmas. Well, the first thing I'd point out to you about Mary's song is it reminds us that there is no darkness in the world that God's light can't penetrate. There's no human heart that God can't reach and touch. This song reminds us that hope is on the way. And that's such an important reminder for us at Christmas because sometimes we lose hope. There are those moments in your life and in my life and in every person's life where we ask that question, God, where are you in this moment? Where are you in my loneliness? Where are you in my struggle? Where are you in my pain? God, I was going down this road and, and then suddenly I found myself on a road I never intended to be. 
I never thought at this point in my life I'd be sitting here in this place and in this moment, and I just don't know what to do. Where are you in the midst of it? And gosh, it is easy, isn't it, to look at the world and, and we see the suffering and the hatred and the violence and the fear and the prejudice and just the ignorance, and we wonder, God, where are you in the midst of all this? You see, that's because pain and fear are common denominators in all our lives. And that's important for you to know because it's in that context that the story of Christmas was born. It was into fear and pain and darkness that Jesus entered, that God entered, that God came into the human story. Let me point this out to you. Did you know, did you know that when Jesus was born, it was a time of terrible darkness and fear and anxiety and suffering. The time of, of growing hostility between, between rich and poor. And the poor in that time and that place where Mary and Joseph lived were desperately poor and were really struggling. And there was a lot of injustice, a lot of pain, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of darkness. You know, we read the story and we hear the name Herod and it really doesn't do much to us. They, the Bible calls him Herod the Great. But really we should call him Herod the Horrible or Herod the Tyrant or Herod the Dictator. Because Herod was a vicious, brutal, bloodthirsty tyrant. Now if you were to travel to Israel today, you would see all these magnificent fortresses and palaces. And you would hear about all the great things that Herod built. But do you know how he funded his projects? By taxing people into poverty everything that he built to honor himself was built off the backs of the poor that crushed people and crushed their families and not only that he was brutal he was a jealous and vindictive king he at one point he felt so threatened by his his own family that he executed his wife in cold blood and killed his sons to prevent them from being rivals to his throne. And then you remember in the story, as Matthew tells it, that one day three kings came to visit him and said, where is the king of the Jews born? And how did he respond? Not by going to worship Jesus, but instead by sending the army to execute all the babies born called to slaughter the innocents and murdered all the children under one years of age, all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem where Jesus was born. I bet you didn't know this. Did you know that he was so hated and so despised by his countrymen that he imprisoned 80 elite Jewish citizens so that on the day that he died, they were, orders were given to execute them on the day of his death that 80 others would be executed so at least a tear would be shed on the day of his death. Now, now, then you read the name Caesar Augustus. You know, he was, he was called the Prince of Peace. He was called the Son of God. But you know how he made peace in the world? He made peace in the world by conquering his enemies. Jesus was the Prince of Peace and who died for his enemies. But Caesar Augustus, he expanded his empire by conquering people and making his enemies slaves. And you know what it says in Matthew, it says, and in other parts, that they had to go to Bethlehem in order for Jesus to be born because of a census that was being taken. It wasn't because he wanted to get an accurate record of where people lived so he could provide them with goods and services. 
It's because he had a war machine to fund. Whereas Herod was building buildings, Caesar Augustus, in order to keep his empire his empire, had to have a war machine to conquer people. He had to fund his military and the expansion of his country and his empire. They lived in those desperate... It was in that context that Jesus entered the human story. Now, I'm not an astronomer by any way. I do have a a telescope at home. I guess that makes me an astronomer. Maybe not. But did you know this about the universe? That's the Milky Way. Did you know that there are more than 100 billion galaxies in the known universe? Think about that. And did you know that within every galaxy, there are more than 100 billion stars? Astronomers estimate, this just blows my mind, I can hardly even comprehend this, that when you look at the skies at night, that that means in all the galaxies, the hundreds of billions and billions of galaxies, that there are literally, possibly, a billion, trillion stars. I mean, I can't even begin to really comprehend that. It's hard. How do you, how do you comprehend that, really? really, can you? I found out this week in doing a little bit of research that there's a star called Canis Majoris. Somebody will probably correct me in the way I pronounced it later, but Canis Majoris is a star that is 2,300, 2,300 square, square times bigger, 2,300 times bigger than our sun. Do you know what that means? That you could fit our sun, 92 billion of our suns inside of Canis Majoris. Now think about this for a minute. As people of faith, what do we say? Who created the heavens and the earth? Who hung the stars in the sky? I mean, when you look at the sky, I looked last night, the, the sky was blue last night, and I saw the stars, and I thought, oh, my God, you have created all this, billions and trillions of, of stars and galaxies. It's amazing. It's what led the psalmist to write these words. He says this, uh, when I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established, what are human beings that you're mindful to them, mortals that you care for them? It's amazing to think that God created everything. And why? For God so loved the world. He came. Now think about this. This is what really excites me about this story, is think about all the human misery in the world. You think about the God that created everything in the universe, and God loved the world. And how did God enter? God chose the God of the stars in the sky, of Canis Majoris, chose that you enter the human story in flesh and blood and a vulnerable baby to reach into the poverty and the suffering of people living in a dark and fearful world. Now, wouldn't that make you want to just sing? I, I was here at the concert and there was a woman she was standing about right here and the concert was over and like a lot of grandparents she was up congratulating her grandson and taking his photograph but she had a scarf on her head and I knew what that meant and I walked up to her and I said I said I, I don't know you but I'm a cancer survivor and I don't want to assume that because you're wearing a scarf that you're going to she says I am thanks for asking and I said how, how can I pray for you she said, well, I'm, I'm facing some surgery. 
I have pancreatic cancer, and uh, I'm, having, I'm having surgery. And I looked at her and said, I'll pray for you. And you know, I looked at her, it was interesting to look at her. You would think that she'd be fearful or scared, and she was happy. There was a, anybody that's been through cancer knows that there's a hope that you find somewhere in the midst of it that gives you strength. And she had that, I could see that hope in her. And later on that night, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about that woman, and I was praying for that woman, and I looked at the scars in the sky, and I thought, here is a God who is vast and amazing and who cares about every single person, that every single person on this earth, he knows your name, he knows my name, and it's entered the human story, and hope, hope is on the way to us in those moments when we feel like, where are you, God? in the midst of this life. That's why Mary was singing. You know the other reason why Mary was singing, this is the second thing I'd point out to you, is that she was on his list. She didn't think she'd ever be noticed. I mean, I know what probably happened. Now, this is my own imagination. But I imagine that somebody went up to the high priest and said, hey, Mr. High Priest, did you hear the news? What? Baby born in Bethlehem. Yeah, okay. Oh, ba- yeah, a lot of baby. no. The Messiah, really, the Messiah born in Bethlehem. Well, what's the mother's name? Mary. And the high priest goes, well, who's Mary? I've never, I've never heard of Mary. I mean, who's Mary? I mean, who was Mary? She's just some poor teenage girl picked out of, who is she? I like to think about that when God gave the assignment to angel Gabriel to go and to, uh, to go find Mary, to give her the news, to give her the birth. Gabriel, Nazareth is such a remote place, such a tiny village, he had to get out Google Maps to figure out where it was. I mean, it was only, only about 10 square miles, and only had about 300 people in it. And imagine when Gabriel came down, he probably got lost and said, I'm looking for Nazareth and a girl named Mary. Do you know where she lives? Do you know where the town is? Well, you got to turn right at the orchard over there, and then three miles past the camel farm. I mean... Nazareth was nothing. And when you look at Mary and that Mary was chosen, it kind of boggles the mind that the God that created everything chose her. Every year Forbes posts uh, uh, the world's most influential people. I've been doing it since 2009. And this is how they rate the most influential people in terms of how much money they have, in terms of how much uh, power they have, and how much influence they have, how many people report to them, and all this kind of stuff. Well... All those things, when you look at Mary, she has none of the things that we would consider today to be blessed or powerful or influential in any way. She wouldn't have been on anybody's list. Nobody's list. She had no money. In fact, she was so poor that when Jesus was dedicated at the temple, they couldn't offer a lamb. They had to buy two scrawny pigeons. She had no influence at all. Nobody even knew who she was. She was an unwed teenager growing up in a town nobody had ever heard of in an occupied part of the world, living in poverty. But you know what? She would have been on nobody's list, but she was on God's list. And what that means to me is you don't feel like you're on anybody's list, but you're on God's list. Every child matters. Every living human being in this world, no matter what race, no matter what nationality, no matter where they live, every single human being on this earth matters. 
to God. And one of the things you'll learn from reading the Gospel of Luke, and I'll say something about this in a minute, is that God has special love for people who are on the bottom, who have been crushed, who have been hurt, who have been wounded. The, the third thing I'd mention about this is just, and I won't, is, is the subject of humility. Several times in this passage, Mary says that she is humble. She says, you have looked down upon me, you know, and you, you have chosen me. You've, made mindful, you've been mindful of the humble, I'm, I'm a humble servant. We don't know really much about Mary. We don't know why she was chosen. We don't know all. Maybe she was chosen because she was just the first person that said yes. Maybe, will you? No, no, no. And she's the first person that said yes. God doesn't choose us on the basis of our ability. Sometimes God just chooses us on the basis of our availability. But she was humble. She was a humble person, a humble spirit. And I think that, that you know, Mary could have said, hey, look at me. I've been chosen. But instead, Mary responded with humility. Say, here I am. You've chosen me. What do you want to do with me? If you go to Bethlehem today, I hope you have the opportunity someday to go to Bethlehem. The oldest Christian community in the world is the Church of the Nativity where they have been worshiping since on that site since the first wise men were on that spot worshiping the baby Jesus. And this is amazing. Think about this. This is the Church of Humility. This is the door how you get in there. The Church of the Nativity. I say that the Church of Humility because this is the door of humility. In order to enter the church of the nativity, to go to the place where Jesus was born, you have to bend down low and crawl into the building. Everybody enters in the nativity on their knees in humility. There's something about this story. You know, a lot of people today in the world aren't, uh, the humility is not something that people cultivate. But the idea that this God of the universe knows your name and you're on his list and that God cares about everybody, and this is who God is, that's a reason to sing and a reason for humility. Say, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Here I am. I'm your servant. And this leads me to the last theme. It's the theme of the great reversal. When you read Luke's gospel, you'll find out that in Luke's gospel, there's this theme of the great reversal. And what I mean by that is in the story you'll see oftentimes Jesus' ministry is, is, is dedicated and commissioned to people who were poor and hungry living on the bottom. He reserved his harshest words for those who were living on the top. And this is the idea that the kingdom of God overturns things in our world and turns things upside down. And when you read this, this Magnificat, it's not just some sweet hymn of a sweet teenage girl, at the end of it, it says that he would bring down the powerful from their thrones. He would send away the rich empty. And he would fill the hungry, you know, with good things. You know, it's interesting to me that when you go to Israel and uh, you visit, you get to go to all these great places where Herod built, you know, Masada and Caesarea by the sea. You also get to go to this mountain called Herodium. And Herodium is a man-made mountain, which was a fortress built by Herod the Great outside of Jerusalem. It's an amazing architectural feat. Built to honor a king where he was buried. And as you stand on top of Mount Herodium and you look 
to one direction, you can see Jerusalem and you can see Bethlehem. And the irony is not lost on me that when you look out from the top of this mountain of this great king, you look to see where the king of kings died on the cross for the sins of the world and for his enemies. Standing on the mountain of a man who killed his enemies. And then you look down at a man who lived his whole life in luxury and you see that the king of kings look in Bethlehem and see where he was born, who was his mother and where he was born. And he was born in a cave and he was born in poverty. This should tell us something about who he is and what's important. You know, did you know that this this song, the, the Magnificat, has troubled people for a long time? When Martin Luther translated this during the Protestant Reformation, uh, he left this Magnificat in Latin and didn't translate it in the German because he didn't want to offend his German prince that was taking care of him and protecting him. You know, bring the mighty down from their thrones. And did you know that when the British were ruling, was ruling India, and during that time of protest, it was outlawed for Christians to preach and to read the Magnificat in public because it might give poor people the wrong idea. And did you know that in, in Argentina, that there was a time when there was a brutal dictatorship that during the 70s and 80s when the government responded to protesters by taking them away and killing them and burying them in unmarked graves, thousands of them. And at some point, all they, they called themselves the Mothers of the Disappeared. And the Mothers of the Disappeared gathered in the great Plaza de Mayo in Argentina at the, at the, government, the, the government's uh, capital. And they began to post all around the capital the Magnificat from Mother Mary. Why? Because the Bible reminds us that God, God shows favor on people who live in poverty and who have been marginalized. And it should never be lost upon us that Jesus himself, Jesus himself grew up among, with poor parents. And at some point, Jesus himself had to flee his own country for another country because his parents fear, feared for their very lives. And they had to go to another country to seek safety. All over our world, our world is a war zone. And all over our world, people are fleeing for safety. And what the Bible says is we should care about people. You know, somebody said to me this last week, they said, David, do you know what's going on in Yemen? And I said, where's Yemen? Do you know where Yemen is? And I had no idea. And then I looked it up and it bothered me that I didn't know anything about it because it's so easy to be comfortable where I live. And, you know, I'm good on Black Friday going out looking for a big screen TV. But then in Yemen... All these women and children are just basically the victims of a political system where two, several countries in the world are fighting it out in this place because it's a safer place to fight than their own countries. They're big whatever. And children are dying. It's, one of the, it's a catastrophic human tragedy that no one's even paying attention to. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the hungry... Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, woe to the rich, woe to the, woe to the fool. He, he said that. I wonder where he got that from. Maybe from his mother. So 
you know, I think, what can I do? What can we do? How can we respond to Mary's song? Let me show you that picture again one more time. Do you recognize who this little boy is? His name is Preston Neal. His mom are uh, Matt and Ashley Neal. And you may recognize the red hair because his grandmother had beautiful red hair. Her name was Tracy Walling. My heart was just so filled with joy and sadness on the night of this Christmas concert because his mother was such a dear friend. And when she died three years ago, it just left a horrible hole in my heart and our heart and all our hearts. She loved three things. She loved her husband, Mark, and he's not easy to love. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and her family and her grandkids, and they were just little. She died, she was diagnosed with cancer and died way too quickly. She loved, and she loved her church. She was an elder, and she served, and she did so many things in our church. She was an amazing person. Chairman of the elder, I mean, did everything. And then she loved Christmas. I, 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 when she died, it just, le- it just left an aching hole in her hearts. And those of you who have never met her, don't know her, or new to our church, I want you to know her name. Say her, let's say her name out loud. Let's, let's Tracy Walling, say it. Tracy Walling. honor her at Christmas you know a lot of people wonder they look at places like Yemen and think what can I do here's what Tracy did Tracy just did things she was what George Bush would call a thousand point of light and um, she heard about this family in the south end of town and she rallied our church around this family and took them food and presents and gifts at Christmas and made a family really struggling someone who was on God's list and so she picked up the list and she fed this family. And for over a year, she continued to minister to this family. That's who she was. She didn't try to do everything before she did anything. She just, she just served as a point of light, bringing hope, because she knows where God is calling us to be at work. Mary's song is a song that reminds us of who we are and that we are this that we are that God has affection towards us, that we are on his list but he also reminds us of who else is on his list and what I wonder this morning is what I'm wondering as we begin Advent what I'm wondering is can we sing her song can we sing Mary's song